Welcome to Make It Simple, where we take complicated issues and, with the help of an expert, break them down into ideas we can understand, truths we can apply, and questions worth pondering. I'm Matt Popovitz, and with me, as always, is my friend and co-host, Rachel Ryder. Rachel, it's great to be with you once again on Make It Simple. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, and uh, we've got a really interesting topic today. What are we talking about, and who are we talking about it with? So talk about like a timely thing for us to talk about. We are talking about celebrity Christians, and we're doing that with Caitlin Beatty. Yeah, we're talking about celebrity Christians with Caitlin Beatty. If you're not familiar with Caitlin, Caitlin is a writer, journalist, editor. She's written for the New York Times, the New Yorker, the Washington Post. She's commented on religion and other things on CNN, ABC, NPR, basically all the places she's been there. Uh, She co-hosts the Saved by the City podcast. And Beatty previously served as print managing editor at Christianity Today, and she's the author of the brand new book, Celebrities for Jesus, which is what we're going to be talking about with her today. So, so Rachel, what are you interested in uh, as it relates to this topic uh, as we sit down with, with Caitlin Beatty? What, what fascinates you about the whole notion of Christian celebrity? Well, first of all, I'm excited to talk to Caitlin specifically because she's like Christian celebrity adjacent. Like this is her world. She's done these interviews. She's had to look into, you know, allegations. She's had to hold these things as part of her career. So she has a really unique kind of expertise mm-hmm. on it. Um, and then like, gosh, who of us has not been swept up by a celebrity persona at some point? That's right. Um, and so it just seems to be you know, and, and I think my heart is especially tender about this because it just seems like every few days we're hearing about a celebrity for Jesus that has disappointed us again. Yeah. Um, so it just feels like it's it's really in the stratosphere right now. Yeah. And, and in particular, you know, if you if you read her book and um, as you'll find out in our conversation, in particular, what we're focused on with this notion of celebrities for Jesus or Christian celebrities, what mm-hmm. we're talking about is is celebrity pastors, preachers and teachers. And, you know, yeah. those are the ones who, you know, when they when they tweet something that's really unfortunate or do something that's really horrific, those those are the ones that we hear about in the news that ultimately also then leave us feeling really deflated and disappointed yet again that another, you know, famous famous leader in the church has somehow managed to fall and uh, yeah. disgrace themselves and frustrate and disappoint all of us. And, and so what, what, and you're right, it's timely because, you know, in, in the news are things like uh, the, 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 the fall of, of Ravi Zacharias, uh, the, the Mars Hill podcast uh, about Mark Driscoll, uh, Carl Lentz at Hillsong, and, and the list goes on and on. And, and we're all familiar with these stories. And what, what I'm excited to talk about with Caitlin is the whole notion of celebrity and what, what makes it so toxic when it's mixed with Christian power and influence. What, what makes celebrity so toxic when mixed with Christian power and influence? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, I have a vested interest in this. You know, I'm a pastor and, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm certainly not a celebrity, but, but you know, whatever <laughs> Whatever, whatever influence that I have in, in, in my congregation, in my world, I want to make sure that, that, I, that I try to, to use it well and honor Jesus and love people. And I'll be the first to say that that is not an easy thing to do, even in my small little world. Like, like I can see how what little power and influence I have can easily be abused and whatever you know, fame I've got in my little circle of a church and school can easily be overindulged. And so, so I, I bring some personal interest to this too. Yeah. Well, and I think it's interesting because um, I don't think most people start out to be like, I'm going to be a celebrity for Jesus. It's just that, you know, I want to believe that at the heart of it is a, I have a good message. 
I have, you know, we want people to know about Jesus and why not do that on a super popular platform? Mm-hmm. Uh, but things are just not usually that straightforward. So I'm, I'm excited to have this conversation and really hear from her. Like, what are we talking about when we talk about celebrities for Jesus? Yeah, yeah, same. Yeah. I'm really also looking forward to just just wrestling with with her. You know, the the, the whole notion of, of of what is a what is a parishioner like a like a churchgoer supposed to do? Yeah. If if they think, man, I go to a church that I love, and I've got a, a leader in in front of me on Sunday mornings that I love, and, and this person's growing, maybe in influence and impact, and maybe our church is growing. You know, is is that necessarily a bad thing? And 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 what should that parishioner look for, maybe as yellow or red flags, to say that you know, man, mm-hmm. my, my pastor or my church might be succumbing to some of the the toxic influences of of fame and celebrity? And is there anything that you, as a parishioner, can can do about it? So, so th- there's a whole lot of things I want to ask her. So let's not let's not delay it any further. Let's dive right into this conversation with Caitlin Beatty about celebrities for Jesus. Caitlin Beatty, welcome to Make It Simple. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. It's good to be with you guys. Yeah, we're looking forward to this conversation uh, because uh, the 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 notion of celebrity and pastors uh, has been in the news as of late. Uh, I think many of our listeners are probably aware of the podcast Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, or they've seen the name of a prominent evangelical pastor in the news in recent days or weeks who's done something that that he's not supposed to do. And so, you know, this question of uh, Christian celebrity and is it good for preachers in particular uh, to be famous uh, is, mm-hmm. I think, front of mind for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So, but, but here's where I want to start, Caitlin. Um, what, what sparked... What sparked this book in you? What, why write this book? What, what about this subject resonated with you? What's the, what's the genesis of it for you? Yeah, well, like a lot of your listeners, I have also seen those headlines about fallen celebrity pastors and leaders. And I was starting to see a lot of those headlines when I worked at Christianity Today magazine, a prominent Christian journalistic publication. And while I was on staff there for almost 10 years, our team got several tips about allegations against kind of famous Christians, household names. And there was such a cognitive dissonance there for me and for so many on our team. You have this perception of someone being who they present themselves to be, you know, to be a person of virtue, integrity. And then you dive into these tips and you realize that they're a lot of them are unfortunately true and you have to report the news and it has such a disastrous fallout, not only for the people connected to that leader, but also I think when we're talking about witness and how our neighbors perceive us and that kind of news creates a credibility issue Mm -hmm. uh, for the church in our modern world. And so I really wanted to help all of us identify and name those celebrity dynamics so that we can be on the lookout for them in our communities and do things to mitigate its negative effects. Yeah. Well, let's talk about those negative effects. Like what what is the problem with with Christian and celebrity going together in particular uh, you know men and women in ministry who become celebrities. What what's what's the mm-hmm. issue there? Yeah. Well, in the book, I distinguish between fame and celebrity. So Mm -hmm. just because you're a household name, say, or you're a book author, it'd be weird if I wrote a book decrying (laughs) being a book author. Right. Right. Um, (laughs) Or, you know, you have some kind of platform or your ministry takes you far beyond a particular community. 
well, that's okay. You know, sometimes fame comes to you, not because you're looking for it, but because you're a really excellent communicator. You're very dynamic or charismatic. You have an important message. People notice your accomplishments or, you know, your virtue even. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. the question of, if fame comes to you, the question is, now that I have this, what what do I do with it and how do I steward it well? Mm-hmm. Celebrity is more of a seeking of notoriety, using the tools of mass media to project an, an image or a persona or a personal brand, so to speak, yeah. where the focus is really on the person and kind of an adoration of the person and their image rather than the work that they do. Mm-hmm. And what can happen when celebrity dynamics creep up in a community is that on one hand, the person with celebrity has a lot of social power. They have mm-hmm. immense capacity to shape hearts and minds and influence. We might think, well, that's not bad in and of itself, but what can happen is also a distancing effect. Like the the higher your star rises, it's often the case that fewer people can actually know you in any real way, can know the real you kind of away from the spotlight, off the stage, off the platform. And all of us need deep community relationships, friendships to keep us grounded, like Mm -hmm. keep us like on the ground. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Remembering that we are but mere mortals and we have flaws and blind spots and growth opportunities. And we need people who love us and also want the best for us and can, if necessary, speak the hard truth into our lives. And so often in these fallen celebrity leader stories, you find that there was so little accountability. There was so much distance and the people around the celebrity also started to believe the hype and didn't feel like they could say the hard word. And then it was Mm. too late. Right. Then they couldn't say it. And the person fell in a, in a spectacular way. It's interesting because you talk about the the distance that like celebrity creates and it's false both ways, right? Because me as a consumer, I'm like, oh, I know this person I've seen their online life. And then also, like you said, you lose that accountability because you think I'm not connected with my audience or you falsely feel connected to your audience. And so it's kind of that problem that goes both ways. Yeah. There's a, there's a false intimacy that yeah. media allow us to project or feel, you know, um, when the Christianity Today staff received these tips about these, these leaders, you know, part of me thought, well, I thought I knew who they were, but in fact, no, I didn't. I, I, I knew their name. I knew their work. I knew their self-presentation on a stage or in the spotlight, but I didn't actually know them in any real way. So part of this too, is a conversation about consumers or followers, so to speak, Mm -hmm. and just remembering, um, you know, there, we might feel a significant emotional and even spiritual attachment to beloved figures, but that doesn't mean that we know them, (laughs) you know, let's, let's, let's not be naive about the difference between what is presented in public and a life lived off the screen and off the stage. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, before we dive too much into like what's going on today, you know, I, I grew up like a kid in the eighties and I know that like Christian celebrity looked very different. Like you talk about that mega pastor or like televangelist. Um, but it certainly looks different today, but does that mean this is a new problem or how is this Mm. like historically looked? Yeah. So I think celebrity again, 
differentiating it from fame is a <laughs> is a modern right. phenomenon in that it relies so deeply on mass media. So in the book, I talk about famous evangelists of the past mm-hmm. century and how they used newspapers, radio, television, use these tools to share the gospel with as many people as possible, but also ended up feeding some of these celebrity dynamics. Mm -hmm. I think social media has kind of poured jet fuel on this problem because now we all have these, there, there aren't as many middlemen to go through to reach that kind of exposure, right? Like even with radio or television or books, well, there were there were players in between who you had to work through to have that kind of reach. Mm-hmm. Any of us can set up a social media account and get really good at creating reels, <laughs> which I right. hear I'm anybody to could do. be famous yeah. overnight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and we don't always have the knowledge of someone away from social media to know. Well, do they actually have something worth saying? What is their influence actually like apart from this particular platform? And Mm -hmm. numbers can be misleading Mm -hmm. uh, in part because this was something that I've heard from some readers of my book. They didn't realize that people could buy fake followers, which is Mm -hmm. definitely a thing. (laughs) You can you can falsely amplify the appearance of your reach. If you pet, you know, if you pay 50 bucks, you can get, you know, 20,000 followers. So we have to become wiser and not think large numerical following equals person worth listening <laughs> to and following. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, but also I, I think part of this conversation is becoming wise about how mass media, any kind of medium affects the message that we're trying to present. And it is just the case that mass media often turn even good messages that we're trying to share um, into a form often of entertainment and consumption. And that changes how mm-hmm. people receive our message. So there's a critique here of evangelists like Bill- Billy Graham would be the most famous. You know, he right. was very pragmatic in his embrace of the tools of mass media, but he was naive about how those media affected how people received the gospel, mm-hmm. right? That it became this very individualistic kind of consuming, I'm consuming a message to have a spiritual effect. And it's coming to me in the same media where I watch the prices, right. Or watch the nightly news. That's going to change my understanding of the gospel that is being presented through these channels. So I know, you know, evangelicals tend to be historically very eager to embrace any tool that allows yeah. them to share the gospel with as many people as possible. And to his credit, Billy Graham, you know, he shared the gospel with more people than Jesus. And yeah. he like boasted of this, which is mm-hmm. pretty bold. Um, <laughs> but let's talk about depth uh, mm-hmm. and quality of message and not just numerical reach, right? Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about the kind of message that's being presented and especially in the church, um, believing that actually kind of the warp and woof of the Christian life is meant to be lived in embedded community. 
mm-hmm. um, away from a screen, away from a stage. And that's where the rubber meets the road. And are we calling people into that kind of community where they can be deeply known and learn what it means to follow Christ in that context? Yeah. Caitlin, in, in your study of this and your, in, in your writing the book, you know, d- did you find that um, that that the trappings of celebrity, you know, those trappings being you know negative as we've been talking about, are, are they part and parcel to an increased platform to to mm. fame? Um, in, in other words, is there a way for a platform to grow for uh, a person in ministry for for fame to happen uh, because of you know the 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 message that's being given, the manner it's being given, and the fruit of it being given. Mm-hmm. Is there a way for fame to grow without the trappings and the issues of celebrity, or do these things just inherently mm. kind of come together? What 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 do, you, what do you think? What have you found? Yeah, that's a good question. And again, <laughs> it would be strange for me to, on one hand, want to reach more people on Instagram so that they read my book. <laughs> And hope that that platform grows and then decry the growth of platforms in and sure. of itself, right? Yeah. So a couple of things. I, I do think the kind of growth that happens is important to look at. I tend to think that organic steady growth over time as a result of a good message and good work is healthier than a kind of overnight superstar meteoric rise where you may not have the emotional, psychological, spiritual, inward resources to handle that kind of attention. Right. Um, so I think we we are all just set up better when the growth is happening as a natural or organic result of good work, you know, mm-hmm. that we want to share with the world. Um, I do think, you know, if you find yourself experiencing that kind of meteoric rise, mm-hmm. healthy leaders are wise about the temptations that can come with that and then put deliberate limits on how they engage their platform, whether that is, you know, looking at how much time you spend (laughs) on, on social media or from, you know, talking about like a pastor, well, how much time are you preparing your sermon that's televised? That's, you know, appearing across multi sites on a, you know, in a church campus and how much time are you spending with your staff and with people actually in the church, pastoring them and shepherding them, which Mm -hmm. is, I believe the core responsibility of a pastor. Mm -hmm. A pastor is not primarily the purveyor of inspirational content. He or she is a shepherd of souls. And that requires a kind of depth of knowledge of the people in your church to do well. So just thinking about how much time am I feeding this thing going on over here and how much time Mm -hmm. am I spending with people around me and getting to know them in a real way. Um, Also just looking at the temptation to start thinking that because your work or your message or your image is leading to growth for a community doesn't mean that you don't have to abide by the rules that everybody else does. I think right. what can happen, we, we've seen this in the stories of many fallen Christian leaders or pastors, like after they've experienced so much success mm-hmm. and they've been told or reflected back, wow, like you are, you are what is driving this growth because of your message or preaching or whatever. Mm-hmm. It can be really easy to start to think, well, I'm, I am so important to the mission or the brand 
that I don't have to abide by the rules in the way that other people do. That's right. Yeah. And that would not happen. It's worth saying without other people enabling you to believe that. <laughs> yeah. So I tend to think someone who is experiencing growth in their platform recognizes those temptations up front and, and wants to curtail them in some way and saying, I'm showing up to the staff meeting on time in the way that everybody else is expected to. I'm not off like jet setting with other famous people. I'm spending most of my time in the church. I am putting deliberate limits on my use of technology. I'm placing deliberate limits on my use of spending. Um, I'm having to abide by the same measures of accountability that everybody else does, because at the end of the day, I'm actually not more important than everybody else. You know, I want to double click on that because it sounds like, you know, you're talking about when like a ministry or something is built around a persona instead of the message of Jesus. And so the life becomes this online celebrity instead of using that as a tool. Um, And I appreciate that you just highlighted like how important accountability is, because I wondered, is part of the problem that like celebrity makes us think the rules don't apply to us? Mm hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it obviously does, you know, like thinking, thinking even outside the church and the last Mm -hmm. several years we've spent facing a reckoning on a cultural and societal level around the abuses of power toward women and celebrities being credibly accused of abusing their power against other people. Core to that dynamic is the celebrity believing I can get away with what I want because I am that important or I am that powerful or I have the financial resources to buy this person's silence, to Mm -hmm. lawyer up, to surround myself with other very powerful people who will stand up for me. So it is absolutely celebrity introduces a power differential upon which abuse can feed. And Mm -hmm. that happens inside and outside the church. And I think we would be naive to think it doesn't happen inside the church. I think part of this conversation is becoming aware of and wise about power dynamics, Mm -hmm. even and especially when they are not necessarily overt, you know, but they're, they're social and they're more um, implied and therefore can be harder to detect. The word that keeps popping into my mind, uh, Caitlin, is distance. Um, and you tell me if this is this is accurate. Like when celebrities creeping in, it it creates and encourages distance. Distance between you and the people you're called to serve. Distance between you and the rules. Distance between the way you're now living and the style and kind of life that the people you're called to serve are living. There's just all this space between you and all these other things. Distance between you and accountability, right? Mm-hmm. Like and and in that space breeds all this bad stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Would would that be kind of an accurate distinction that celebrity is about distance from all these stuff that's actually good for you? Yeah, I think that's really perceptive. And I'm thinking of uh, the work and writing of Andy Crouch, who's been drawing attention to these dynamics for years. And he talks about, just as an example of this distance and how it can operate in the somewhat strange um, Christian conference circuit Mm -hmm. (laughs) is that most, I don't know about most, but many conferences have a green room where speakers are invited to sit backstage 
kind of before and after their talk, they can hang out there, they can connect with other people who are speaking. And on one hand, you know, if you're hosting a conference, you want your speakers to feel like they have a space where they can focus on their talk Mm -hmm. or relax or enjoy snacks you've provided, you know, whatever it is. But what, what happens when you're flown in for the conference, your presence there is seen as really important to the conference's Mm -hmm. success. People are going to pay to come see and hear you talk. Mm -hmm. Maybe they've not seen you before. So there's something about, oh my gosh, I get to see this person speak in the flesh. That's so exciting. Your celebrity is tied up with the financial viability of the conference. So you are treated as, as literally like a VIP, you are Mm -hmm. a VIP. And if your experience coming to a conference is you fly in, you go to the green room, you hang out with other VIPs for a couple hours, you do your talk and then you leave and go back to the green room and then you leave. Mm -hmm. You have had no space where you have actually encountered anybody who is listening to your message. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that the use of green rooms is every and everywhere and always wrong. And Matt, I know you've organized some conferences in the past. So yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not calling you out if you happen. I'm to part of the problem, Caitlin, part <laughs> have of the problem. A green room. Uh, but you just see how the green room reinforces the distance between communicator and audience. Yeah. Um, and you've had, I, you know, I, I've spoken at some events over the years, Christian colleges, churches, and, um, the experience can be so disorienting. I mean, mm-hmm. you're you're in this new space for a day, then you leave, you've given your talk, maybe it's gone over well, maybe it hasn't, but you haven't really had any time to find presence with the people yeah. you're trying to minister to, right. you know? Um, and so just thinking very practically, are there things that conference organizers can do to mitigate that impression that the person mm-hmm. coming in really right. is the VIP. Yeah. And, and I think also the question of, you know, those who, who are invited to those things, you know, if, if, if you are wanting to be intentional about avoiding this notion and trapping of celebrity that is so corrosive to the Christian existence and to, and to the people that you're called to serve of, of really, you know, and, and, and I, I've had to do this as I've been invited to events of, of saying, you know, am I, am I really called to go here and speak or do I really just love the fact that I've been mm-hmm. asked to come here and speak? Do mm-hmm. I like how it makes me feel? Is this, is, do I like this because this, this is the one thing that makes me feel like a bit of a celebrity and I, I'm not going to get that anywhere else. And it feels really, really good. Like I have to check myself and be like, why am I doing this? What mm-hmm. do I enjoy about this? Is it really about the Lord or is it really about man? This makes Matt feel so amazing. So like, I know like I've had to wrestle with that as I get invited into those spaces so that I, I check myself. And I also have to like, you know, lean into my sources of accountability around me who are like, no, you're still just, you know, a terrible person who we deeply love, like get over yourself. <laughs> like, like I've had to have like real accountability around me. Like that's one of the reasons Rachel's my great friend. She's so honest with yeah. me. Um, and so, but, but I think that's an important part of it. Like the people who are part of those opportunities, they, mm-hmm. they have to have some self-reflection and some uh, self-awareness about why they're doing it. Yeah. I I feel that you are, you have been sent by the Lord to preach to me. I'm kind of being facetious, but I, what you are describing, I have to wrestle with those exact same dynamics. I mean, even in launching a book, you know, remembering Caitlin, this is not about 
getting to do podcast interviews. This is yeah. not about getting invited to think. This is not about reinforcing your desire to believe that you are important or worthy or yeah. uniquely special. Um, yeah. This is about the work and the message and trying to help readers to mm -hmm. engage important topics. And that's what you want people to walk away remembering, not Caitlin, but right. the message. But I, I think anybody who is called to some measure of public presence or communication has to be wrestling with those dynamics mm -hmm. in an ongoing way. And it can be easy to think, well, I don't have that many followers. Or you can always <laughs> compare and think, well, sure. I'm not a celebrity because, and I'm, yeah. I'm immune to those dynamics because mm -hmm. I can think of so many other people who have much more of a celebrity following, right. but it yeah. really starts with questions of, of motive yep. and ultimate goals and aims and kind of, is this a way of serving God or is this a way of serving myself? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't really matter how big your following is. If you right. have some kind of public presence, it's important to wrestle with those questions. Yeah. And I think there's a, there's a way to wrestle with this that has impact for, for every single person, because, you know, you, you know, you or I may not have the opportunity, let's put it to become a celebrity in the world at large, but each of us lives within a world, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a pastor of a, of a mid-sized church and we've got a school and, and I, I could easily lean into some aspect of celebrity here. Mm -hmm. if, if celebrity is defined as, as being a person who um, is, is well known among all the parishioners and teachers mm -hmm. and students, but then create distance from mm -hmm. me between us um, mm -hmm. uh, removes myself from some level of accountability um, believes that some rules don't apply to me that that I assert apply to everybody else like like I could lean into that here in this little world and 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 have all that and I think I think we have mm -hmm. there's a temptation for all of us in whatever world we have to lean into the trappings of you know mm -hmm. celebrity and all the corrosive stuff that comes with it yeah a lot of people in response to this book. And you know, I have a chapter on mega churches and in some mm -hmm. ways, mega churches are an easy target in part because I, sure. I don't like mega churches um, <laughs> or like I go to a small church. And so it's easy sure. to think, well, that's clearly the better option, but yeah. you're absolutely right. You can have a celebrity pastor at a church of a hundred people. That's right. It's really yeah. all about that social power without proximity. And yeah. it doesn't matter how big the pond is or small the pond is that you're swimming in. If you think that you're the big fish, That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, and people treat you that way, it's just as problematic as, you know, mega church pastors who mm -hmm. are standing up in front of 25,000 people. That's right. Yeah. You know, in your book, you talk, uh, you have a chapter that focuses heavily on like book publishing and talking about like Christian book publishers are still a business. And it got me thinking about like, man, we also have a Christian celebrity business problem in this mm -hmm. country. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk about that a little bit? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm in a bit of a weird spot because I'm a book author, but I also in my day-to-day -day work, <laughs> yeah, I'm an acquisitions editor for a Christian book publisher. So I've seen both sides of the equation. And I should say off the bat, I'm very grateful to work for a Christian publisher that I think really is serious about asking questions of, you know, quality of content. Yeah. <laughs> Can yeah. this person write originality of thought, uh, timeliness of topic? There are other considerations that we bring to the table when we're deciding which authors to work with and which books to publish. But it is just the case that uh, questions of platform, which I think is another way of talking about celebrity reach, 
have started to override other really important considerations. And, you know, the, the bottom line is that celebrity sells, you know, celebrity works for selling books and for, from a commercial perspective. And a lot of Christian book publishers are under pressure to create a profit because they've melded mission and business. And you can't blame any business for wanting to create a profit. That is you know, why businesses exist, why they're a business. Yeah. (laughs) But then you, you do start to step back and get into questions of integrity and asking, are are we being wise in who we are giving a platform to, or who we're partnering with? And it's just the case that if you have a hundred thousand TikTok followers for whatever reason, (laughs) and you, you'll you'll find a book publisher who wants to work with you. It yeah, doesn't sure. really matter if you can write or enjoy writing, or you know, we'll we'll fix that. We'll get, we'll get a yeah. ghostwriter. We'll do a heavy developmental edit, as we call it. <laughs> um, but if you are an excellent writer, like if you are if you are really gifted in the craft of writing, but you have a small to no following or platform, you're going to have a really hard time publishing a book. Sure. Hmm. Um, somebody shared the anecdote with me a couple weeks ago that Philip Yancey, kind of a, uh, celebrated Christian author, mm-hmm. author of several best-selling books, genuinely a very good writer also seems to be like a normal person. You know, <laughs> he was reflecting that if he had tried to enter book publishing now, he doesn't think that he could actually get oh, wow. a hearing. He doesn't think he could get a, a foot in the door. And isn't that, isn't that a loss, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, Did that answer your question, Rachel? Yeah. <laughs> no, and it's interesting work for you to say, like, I can be a part of something, but also look at it critically. And, mm-hmm. you know, that doesn't mean you have to throw everything out. Um, right, right. You know, certainly. Right. And it's, it, you know, it's, it's interesting to me, Caitlin, I just find myself like wrestling you know, with myself and, and, and doing some self-reflection as, as you talk about this. Cause like, so, so I've, I've, I'm in the process of finishing up a book right now. that's going to be released um, next year. And, you know, one of the questions as I was getting those opportunities to start to write that book, one of the questions I got multiple times from potential editors was how many people do I have on my mailing list and how, mm-hmm. and list out my social media, you know, platforms and how many followers do I have? Right. Mm -hmm. And there were, there were more questions about that than Mm. what else have you written? Can we see, can we see a sample? Mm -hmm. And I didn't even cross my mind that, that, uh, until you say something now, like, well, trying to see if, is there any, what, what size of platform do I have to leverage toward this ultimate success of of this book and and Mm. how many, how many copies it will sell. Now now that said, I I have have a question here. What, what do you say to the parishioner at a church? who loves their pastor, mm-hmm. but but the pastor is writing a book, uh, the church is growing, they've got screens in the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. You know, these are things you talk about as being, you know, not necessarily red flags, but like, you know, potentially maybe yellow flags of, mm-hmm. of, of, a, of a growing platform or maybe a, maybe a pursuit of influence that could potentially develop into something mm-hmm. unhealthy. Mm-hmm. What do you say to the parishioner who's going to a church, they like the church, but they've got a leader or leaders in their church who who have some of these opportunities for a platform to grow and they're worried about, oh my gosh, is my, mm. is my, is my pastor going to become a toxic mm-hmm. celebrity Christian leader? Like, mm. like, what do you say to the parishioner who wants to know if, they're, if they've hitched their wagon to somebody who's, who's going to ultimately turn out to be really, really unhealthy? Mm. Well, ideally, there would be spaces in the church where the parishioner could have 
conversations with the pastor to begin with. So again, Mm -hmm. going back to access and proximity, are there channels of, and I don't mean (laughs) blasting your pastor with a mean email, (laughs) (laughs) that that does not typically go over well. Um, But are there spaces where you, if, if you, if you know your pastor, you like your pastor, you trust your pastor, are there spaces where you can say, you know, tell me about how you see this the book publishing and maybe the conference circuit fitting into your broader calling to serve the church, serve yeah. this church, stay connected. Um, I would also, you know, I, I have to admit that if you're in a big church like that, it's not that you can't find that embedded community within those spaces. I mean, Sunday, Sunday morning worship is one thing. But of course, many churches, many large churches realize, you know, we need to give people opportunities and spaces to get to know the people in the church, to form deep community, to pray together, to read scripture together. Um, And I think that's great. You know, I think creating communities where where discipleship can happen, where it's not just about going on Sundays and getting the message or the content from the pastor is really good is the pastor also being brought into those spaces in some capacity Mm. so that um, the pastor is a participant in the community, not just the purveyor of the inspirational content. Does Mm. that make sense? No, absolutely. Mm. Because I think, you know, one of, one of my chapters is about how celebrity is bad for the celebrities themselves. Mm -hmm. And Mm. I think I, I, I certainly include celebrity pastors in that, you know, I don't wish, celebrity on any pastor. I, I think, yeah. you know, it so yeah. often creates a dynamic of being alone at the top of being mm-hmm. asked to kind of perform a certain role because I need to keep performing this way. Cause it's so central to the success and growth of our church. People look to me for all the answers and people, yeah. you know, hang on my every word maybe, but like, do people actually know me and care for yeah. me? Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting dynamic, right? Because you can look at a, a celebrity pastor who's fallen, right? And be like, oh, I'm so disappointed. Yet again, our leaders are failing. But also to be like, I'm so thankful nobody sees my deep dark secrets. And I <laughs> would never want to be a celebrity, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to ask you, because you talk a lot about power in your book, specifically, you know, what it looks like to abuse power. But you also said, like, power can be, it's easy to, to treat power as this big, like, insidious villain, right? But it can Mm -hmm. also be used to help vulnerable people. Can Mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about like just Mm -hmm. those two dichotomies, what it looks like for power that's yielded well? Because Mm -hmm. I think it's easy to justify Christian celebrity because it's like, but it's for Jesus, right? And more people are learning about Jesus. But at the same time, you know, power corrupts. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about what those two things look like Mm -hmm. a little bit more? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question. And, and on this point, I, I think that part of what we're seeing unfold in these headlines that we've all seen mm-hmm. is perhaps an underdeveloped understanding of power in the church. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, at the very least, I would say, you know, when we think about the age old temptations, money, sex, and power, mm-hmm. all of those things are actually good or can be used for good yeah. purposes, right? Yeah. So power is from a creational perspective, thinking about the human call as image bearers of God to shape and steward the world. You know, power is a part of that calling. We, we, we are given an an inherent kind of power 
to shape and steward, obviously in its best form for the service of God and other people. And in order to do that, you actually, you know, power can be used to bless instead of curse. Mm. I think um, what can happen is that, of course, you know, anybody who's read the Lord of the Rings, which you have, if you haven't go do that now and then come back to the podcast. <laughs> yeah. It's the seeking of power for one's mm-hmm. own plans or desires or design that warps us. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the kind of power that seeks to have rule over rather than stewardship with, mm-hmm. you know, so it's that, over the the power over other people is especially corrupting Mm. and so you know when we look at the life of jesus the most powerful person (laughs) Mm -hmm. to have ever lived on this earth and also an incredible resistance to take up power to even accomplish good purposes. You know, that's what the story of Jesus's temptation in the desert is about. Yeah. Like, the temptation to think that you can cling to worldly power, even for good purposes, without recognizing that that power warps you mm-hmm. and corrupts you in the process. Yeah. So um, I think power is granted to us. And when we find ourselves with power, it's a responsibility on our part to make sure that we're, that we're using it to pour out on behalf of other people rather than a clinging to. Mm-hmm. If power comes to you, it's your responsibility to figure out what to do with it. It's when you're mm-hmm. deliberately seeking it for your own designs and purposes that it becomes especially corruptive. Yeah. 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 You also talk in the book about, um, not just abusing power, but but chasing platforms and creating a persona as as other aspects of 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 celebrity. Um, we we talk a bit about uh, the creation of a persona uh, you know, because I think you know mm-hmm. that, that 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 some some leaders, some religious leaders, might say, well, well, look, I I have to put myself out there for the sake of the ministry. Right. What's what's the difference between putting yourself forward as a mm-hmm. leader necessarily and mm-hmm. creating a persona? that is tied Mm -hmm. to this kind of toxic notion of celebrity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we all have personas, (laughs) which is etymologically, the notion of a persona is connected to personality. It's basically one way of talking about how we show up in the world Mm -hmm. with others, you know, who I am on this podcast, who I am, even with, my friends or family or whatever is not necessarily who I am behind closed doors. There is a kind of natural division between the private and public self. And especially if you are in a position of leadership where people are looking to you, you feel a responsibility to show up in a specific way. Um, I think what can be unhealthy about the fashioning a persona is when there is such a deep disconnect between how you show up in public and who you are in your normal life. Mm -hmm. And there's like a lack of integration or integrity. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's what has been so jarring about some of these, you know, fallen celebrity leader stories is, oh my gosh, there was such a distance between how they presented themselves to be in public, you know, for the sake of a mission or a ministry Mm -hmm. and 
who they were behind closed doors. And it really requires um, a kind of deep interrogation of the self. Um, Chuck DeGroat, who is a spiritual formation expert who I really appreciate, talks about getting in touch with your shadow side. All of us have a kind of parts of ourselves that are (laughs) um, unredeemed, that are selfish, that are um, I don't know, driven by baser instincts than who we present ourselves to be. And instead of trying to run away from that and act like our shadow side doesn't exist, like getting acquainted with it and recognizing mm-hmm. that that is part of the mix as well mm-hmm. and, and acknowledging and accepting those um, natural temptations mm-hmm. or flaws or maybe you're a leader who carries around deep pain and trauma from your childhood, from the way you've been treated in ministry, basically, you know, getting in touch with your pain Mm -hmm. so that when you show up as a leader, when you do have to put on that persona, it is, it is more of your full self, including the harder aspects of your life or story. Sure. You know, Caitlin, you know, you talk about, you know, the the shocking disconnect between the public and the and the private self in in some of the some of the kind of grand falls that we've seen. Uh, I think of like Ravi Zacharias, who you mm-hmm. talk about at length in in your book. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one person that all of us saw as the as the kind of um, uh, master defender of the faith, and then mm-hmm. and then who he was revealed to be, uh, which was which was really just. Um, Shocking to say the least, um, but but then there are some leaders who I would argue they showed us who they were all along, and I think of like I think of like someone like like say Mark Driscoll, mm. and 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 what what happened with him in Mars Hill. There are many who raised the alarm um, mm-hmm. very early on, who saw that there was a whole lot of uh, abuse of power or toxicity at the very least mm-hmm. um, there. Uh, there were a lot of people who said this this is not right, this is not good, and yet mm-hmm. and yet so much of the Christian world just said. We're just going to keep going. We're just going mm-hmm. to keep going. And there's that old adage of when someone shows you who they are, believe them, right? Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. The, the Christian world, I would say, just personally, refused to believe um, who, who Mark Driscoll told us over and over again he was, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if that can happen, mm-hmm. um, is, is, is there some complicity that you know, the Capital C Church has in these mm-hmm. cases of, of celebrity and how it goes wrong and how, 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 how toxic and destructive it is. And, and, when, and when someone falls, they, mm. they have to certainly own their fall. But, mm-hmm. but is, there, is there some kind of like destructive codependence that's going on here? Is there any mm. complicity that the church has in this? Yes. <laughs> my, my answer is yes. Yes, good. Let's move on. Um, yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thinking about the Mark Driscoll story, which of course we've dissected mm-hmm. over the years. Sure. Um, and, you know, I was, I was reading about things related to Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill 15 years ago, you know, working mm-hmm. at Christianity today. Yeah. And maybe we didn't know, I think you're right. You know, maybe we didn't know the full extent to which he was mm-hmm. unhealthy and bullying, but certainly had some strong indicators very yeah. early on. And yet, just using his story as a as a case study, he received the imprimatur of multiple Christian organizations, pastors, networks. I mean, he was in charge of X29, which yeah. was essentially forming 
younger leaders coming up in ministry to act like Mark Driscoll. He was the brand. And so they were, they were learning to kind of be like him as leaders in the church. Mm -hmm. I think what was going on in that story in part is that Christians want to offer grace and second chances and an opportunity for people to grow. You know, I heard, we heard that about Mark Mm-hmm. many times. Oh, he's young. He's immature. Yeah. He's a little brash, but like with enough, uh, time spent with seasoned mm. leaders and enough discipline or just life experience, he'll grow and he'll get better. Mm. And I don't think that that was true. And in fact, he is still, yeah. you know, yeah. leading in an uh, abusive or toxic way at just at another church. Yep. Yeah. So I think the, the deployment of cheap grace is mm. a part of this in the service of the fact that too many of us think that if something is growing, then something is being blessed by God. And if it's growing and it's working, then we can't stop the train. You know, we just have, we just have to keep going. And to be fair, you know, it's oftentimes not until you are out of that toxic system and looking back and realizing I gave such a pass on things that I knew on an, on a deep level were not okay. We're not Christ-like. We're not befitting a pastor, a minister of the gospel, and yet we were all on the train. <laughs> like, yeah. like we yeah. were all headed in this direction, and maybe it was exciting to be a part of, or you didn't want to face the wrath of the leader because they're a bully, or your paycheck is tied to the train continuing on. So. Unfortunately, it, it it can often be the case that it's not until you're out of it that you realize just how complicit you were. But yeah, I mean, even when I was working at Christianity Today and kind of before the worst of the Mark Driscoll story came out, we had a somewhat glowing profile of him in the magazine mm-hmm. because, oh yeah, he's brash, but like he's preaching the gospel in a very secular city and that's good. And like, yeah, that helped to give him moral cover in the imagination of our readers. So absolutely, it is this conversation is not just about the individual who's particularly toxic or narcissistic. It can't be about that because they would not be allowed to right. lead and serve in that way and get away with the things that they do without us allowing yeah. them to do it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Caitlin, um, thank you so much for this conversation. I want to be respectful of your time. And um, I got really fired I, up there. No, I love it. I, it's so great. This <laughs> is we... such a, a valuable conversation. And it's so timely. Like, it's just, mm. this is not going away. Uh, so I guess as we kind of uh, wind down, I wanted to ask, like, almost what's at stake if we don't learn from these lessons? Mm. Or you could you could say it another way. And you could say, like, what hope is mm. there? Uh, moving forward, because mm-hmm. I don't think celebrity, <laughs> Christian celebrities going away um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. anytime soon. And so what is your, like, like, you know, so what, what do we do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I wrote this book and most of the book is about diagnosing a problem. And then I get to the yeah. end and I'm like, I don't know, figure it out yourself, you know, but sure. I, I, I do try to hint at, of course, you know, I talk about accountability. I talk about yeah. taking breaks from social media. I talk about the dynamics of mega church models and how they can allow these celebrities, you know, I can, I can list all those things, but yeah. in the last chapter of the book, I reflect on 
essentially why I'm still a Christian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I talk about the people in my life who are not dazzling by the world's eyes, who have no platform to speak of, who model, who show me what it looks like to be Christ-like in a real embodied, humble way. And those people in my life are the top reason that I remain a Christian. They, they make Christianity real to me. Mm -hmm. And I have to think that, or I hope that a lot of people read this book and think about the meaning and effect of their own life Mm -hmm. and the potentially, you know, the eternal value of ordinary faithfulness, um, of seeking to love God and neighbor in everyday acts of goodness. Mm -hmm. And we can't always know the effects of those acts, this side of heaven, but um, believing that that is in fact, how Christianity has survived over two millennia is it's not, it has not been through people with platforms. The vast Mm -hmm. majority of Christians in the last 2000 years have not had platforms, (laughs) you know, that's so good. Yeah. Um, and yet the the faith has continued to to survive and i think it is because god honors those acts of ordinary faithfulness so i think there's there can be a um a call within this like a a a call of empowerment to kind of everyday christians yeah. to see the value of their daily lives and their daily faithfulness that's yeah, right that's beautiful Thank it you. is yeah. the the eternal value of ordinary faithfulness. Um, that might just be the title of your of your next book, Caitlin. I don't know. That's just such a beautiful. <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm going to put that on notion. a T-shirt. That is yeah. beautiful. It's great. Yeah. It's wonderful. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks so much for a great conversation. Yeah. All right, Rachel. What do you think? What did you learn from our conversation with Caitlin Beatty about celebrities for Jesus? Gosh, I just, I I wonder if, you know, she made the distinction between celebrity and fame. Like Mm -hmm. we're not talking about, um, so just to double click for a second, like we know famous people who love Jesus. We had a conversation with one, uh, with Paul Walter Hauser, who loves Jesus, but he's like flawed and he talks about that and he's not using it to be a celebrity for Jesus. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there are famous people who love Jesus and can talk about that, but but really her definition of celebrities for Jesus as, you know, that distance and that the product is your celebrity was really clarifying. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that word, I think I mentioned it in the interview too, that, that word distance really, really stands out as something that's really mm-hmm. um, something to be mindful of that, that when, when celebrity is creeping into a person's existence, distance is created distance yeah. between the person and accountability distance between the person and the people they serve um, distance between a style of living uh, that they now assume that the people that they are selling this product to or preaching this message mm-hmm. to uh, there's dissonance between the, the two lives that they live. And in that space, like all these bad things that ultimately can be the undoing of the leader and do harm to the church in that space, that's where all these, all these, um, dysfunctions emerge. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I was gonna say, she's also not talking about, like, I like the distinction of, gosh, this is going to sound so simple, but it just isn't that like things like social media and messages online and building that reach should be used as a tool, but it shouldn't be the main 
ministry. So she talked early on about the difference between like, like she's not saying pastors shouldn't be on Instagram and shouldn't have a lot of followers, but equating a lot of followers or well-knownness with this means you have, you can be trusted is not the same thing. Right. Um, Yeah. yeah, So I, I thought that was really good. Well, and, and so much of it comes down to the like the heart and the motives and the intentions yeah. of the person with the with the expanding influence and power, you know. And and I just I just imagine I, I just imagine it's really really hard to to understand when you're pursuing a platform or putting yourself on a stage for the wrong reasons, because especially when it's in a religious context, because it's so easy to justify it. Well, I'm doing it for God. I'm doing it for the Lord. And that's not just the justification that the leader gives to other people. That's also the justification that they give to themselves as the leader. And and I know that because I I struggle with that in my own little world, right? You know, um, uh, because it's very easy to just say, well, I'm doing it for the Lord. I can because it's for Jesus, right? And that just so easy easily gets abused and so easily becomes yeah. this 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 band-aid over all kinds of festering wounds of bad stuff that ultimately be- can become the undoing of the leader and do great harm to the yeah. church. Well, and it's a really good word for all people, right? Like that you need to have people around you that will be that will hold you accountable uh, whether you are a leader or, you know, me at home drinking my coffee in the morning. Like we need to be as Christians, we need to be people who are accountable to other people. And I think it's really easy that, um, as a society, we let that slide for celebrity because we like what they're giving us. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and on that, to that point, you know, we did talk in the interview about, you know, there's, there's some culpability on, on the part of, of congregations and Christian and Christian culture in, in the celebrities that, that, that we create, because even though we, we bemoan what happens to them and the destruction done by them when the celebrity pastor falls down, or mm-hmm. we shouldn't even say falls down, you know, when, the, when they do something terrible. It's right? human. Yeah. Right? It's, and, and it's human, right? Yeah. We, we are also the ones who in churches and in Christian publications and at conferences, we have we – have placed them up on that pedestal, right? Yeah. And we have asked them to be there. We've paid them to be there. They, we've wanted them to be there. We've needed them there. And then we bemoan what the corrosive stuff that it does to that yeah. person's soul, right? The, the temptation is for us to take the benefit of the, the teaching that that celebrity leader gave to us, but then own none of the, the downfall yeah. And, and and take no accountability when that when that person is corrupted by the celebrity that we we helped hand to them, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, so so we we have we have some part to play in this. We being the church and 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 Christian yeah. and Christian culture. Yeah. Um, not to put too fine of a point on it, but I really did think it was beautiful when she said there towards the end, like ordinary faithfulness. And I yeah. was like, that's not yeah. a word for people who love Jesus. I don't know right. what is. And then I realized that kind of ironically, I said, well, there's the title of your next book, which is the most unordinary (laughs) thing in the world, right? Of course, yeah. (laughs) No, that's like, Uh, I should not have said that, but hey, you know, I'm human. So, but but I love that phrase too. I loved that phrase too. We we have to keep in mind the, I think the phrase she used was eternal power of ordinary faithfulness. Yeah. And that what it comes down to is that this church is not built on any celebrity who says that they're trying to build the church. The right. church is built on ordinary people showing up 
in churches and communities and to their own dinner tables with faith in Jesus mm-hmm. Christ, seeking to yeah. honor God and love others. That's the, you know, Jesus said to, you know, Jesus, I'm going to turn into a pastor here. You know, Jesus said to Peter, after Peter said that Jesus was the Christ, Jesus said to Peter on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And he was not talking about Peter. He was not going to mm-hmm. build the rock on Peter, even though Peter's nickname was the rock. <laughs> the, the, the foundation upon which P- Jesus was going to build the church was the confession of who Jesus was. He wasn't yeah. going to build it on people. He was going to build it on a message of who Jesus is. And it's still being built and ultimately sustained through God working in the, in the hearts and minds of ordinary people, confessing and believing and holding tight to that truth, not to any yeah. rock star celebrity, not to anyone yeah. at all. Man, that's so good. All right, Rachel. So, so what's what's your what's your what's your make it simple takeaway? What like what's it all come down to for you? Okay, so it was going to be that about the ordinary faithfulness, but I actually think um, my my make it simple is that we need to be wiser. Mm. Like, just we got a lot being thrown at us. We as consumers need to be mm-hmm. wiser. Uh, us as leaders, mm-hmm. we as leaders, as influencers, because we all have some kind of influence need to be wiser. Right. And I just thought, what a simple, gracious way to remember what God has called me to. That's right. That's right. Yeah. For, for, for me, you? yeah, yeah. For me, it comes down to that notion of celebrity being, at least in part, power without proximity. Yeah. I, I have influence over people, but I'm disconnected from the people that I have mm-hmm. influence over or that I can wield power uh, among. And and just being mindful of that, and that and that's and, and that's a truth that I think everyone can take and, and apply to their lives. Yeah. Uh, a, a, a pastor, a, a teacher, a mom, a dad. If if I have power and influence yeah. over anybody, but I divorce myself from an incarnational, to use a churchy word, incarnational flesh on flesh engagement and relationship with them, which can provide accountability, which can also provide a mutual understanding of humanity, which leads to compassion. Um, if I divorce myself from that, I, I am creating a breeding ground for dysfunction in my home, in my workplace or in my church of 10,000 people. Yeah. That's 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 my takeaway. Let there be no power without proximity. That's good. We want to know what what stood out to you from this uh really kind of enlightening conversation with with Caitlin Beatty about celebrity and uh, Christianity, celebrities for Jesus. Well, we'd love to know what you thought, what your takeaway was. The best way to do that is to head over to our Instagram at M-P-O-P-O-V-I-T-S, at Popovitz, and you'll see the post about today's episode. And uh, drop a comment there. Let us know what stood out to you. Let us know what lingering questions even you have. We'd love to know your thoughts. All right, Rachel, what do you say we, we do this again? Uh, sound good? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I love how you paused there for a second. Like, maybe, maybe I wanted, not. I wanted to give you some suspense. Oh, man. Well, I'm so glad that you landed <laughs> on a yes. I'm so glad. Yes, right. absolutely. Let's do this again. <laughs> we'll do it again, friend. Thanks for helping us make it simple. The show is produced by MPM. Our editor is Marsha Lambeth. Artwork for the show was designed by Brenton Little. Do you have a topic you'd like us to tackle or an expert you'd like us to chat with? Send your ideas to info at mattpopovitz.com. That's info at M-A-T-T-P-O-P-O-V-I-T-S dot com. And if you'd like more information about Make It Simple or MPM, just head to mattpopovitz.com.